Before we go into the 11th chapter of the Gospel of John, I want to tell you, when I was eight years old, I almost drowned. I was swimming with a friend in a, in a pool, and we were goofing off and, uh, and holding each other down and dunking each other and so on and so forth. And we had been down for quite a bit of time, and, and, uh, and uh, he came up and got some air, and I was swimming around, and then he went back down, and he thought I had gotten some air also. And I started going up for air, and he grabbed my foot. And I could see the surface of the water. I was this close to the surface of the water, and I was struggling, absolutely panic, kicking. And there's nothing I could do because he was so much bigger than I was. And I can remember, I mean, like this was yesterday, I can remember that absolute struggle, that absolute fear. And I can remember thinking, I'm going to die. I mean, that was, I mean, I was, I was resigned that I was going to die. Now, two things happened when I gave myself, I surrendered myself to death. One is, you know the old rumor that your life flashes before your eyes? It really does. I was only 18 or eight years old. It wasn't much of a flash, uh, <laughs> but it really did. I mean, I just saw my whole, every important thing in my life just came before my eyes. But the second thing I will never forget, and it affects me to this day, is there was an, a sense of absolute peace. Absolute peace. Now, we've had a weird week here at the church. We've had people die we never expected to die. Uh, Sam Sparks, and some of you know him from way back, and his son Justin died in a plane accident. Justin was only 12 years old. There was a young man who spent years in the singles ministry here, Jeff Testis, and he met his wife here, and they got married and very active in the church. Died. Just died. There was a young man at seminary uh, that I taught, Randy Oliver. Um, Wonderful young man, music leader at uh, Covenant Presbyterian Church. Went to bed this week and didn't get up. Just went on to be with the Lord. And so it's especially providential that today we talk about resurrection. It's especially providential that we not only talk about the hope, but we talk about the voice that calls us out of being dead. Is that song in the 11th chapter of the Gospel of John testifies to us? There are resurrections that happen before the final resurrection. It's not just when we are entombed to be raised to live forever in heaven. But there are different kinds of tombs. And there are different kinds of resurrections, some of them happening on this side. Now let me give you the textual um, context for this particular passage. This is the last of the seven signs that Jesus performs to testify who he is in God, who he is of God. This is the one most closely linked to his ultimate purpose, and that is that we should believe and all of us be resurrected in that final glory. Henceforth, or after this, the signs will come from what others do to Jesus, not from Jesus himself. So this is the ultimate sign. 
this last one that he performs according to the Gospel of John. Now, that is the text context. Let me give you the life context. There are three radical ways. Radical is a word that means rooted, from the roots. Three most foundational ways that God changes our lives, but we usually only speak of two. The first way is the way we often pray for, God come and change my circumstance, God come and change my relationships, God come and change my world and relieve my pain. Rescue me from my distress. And there are times when God does exactly that. Sometimes without prayer, He just does it. We saw that in the ninth chapter of the Gospel of John when He healed a man born blind. And he so radically changed this man's world, so radically healed his disease, that the man's relationships were also changed. Because he was so different, he got kicked out of his old group. And he was ushered into the new community of Christ. And so there are times when God does come and change our world. He changes our circumstances. He changes our relationships. And we live a very different life. Number two, there are times when he doesn't change our world or our relationships. He changes our attitude. He doesn't come and heal us in the way that we prayed that he would or the way that we hoped he would. He doesn't come and rescue us. He comes and changes our inside, our perspective. We see that in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, where Paul prayed to be healed, and he wasn't healed. He was given a greater gift than healing. He was given a gift of attitude. He's given the, this sense that God's grace was sufficient. He, he was so, he was so uh, sufficiently given that message that he was glad for his weaknesses, so God could be glorified even more. There are times when God doesn't change your life, changes your attitude, and in a way that is even a more foundational change <clears throat> because you realize <clears throat> that your happiness doesn't depend on your circumstances or your relationships. That no matter what those circumstances are or those relationships are, you've got victory in here. That's a wonderful thing. Now, so far, for those of you who are in 12-step groups, we've got the serenity prayer, don't we? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I can't change. To change the things, I, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Problem is that surrender prayer is not all inclusive because there is a third, even more radical way that God can change our lives. Doesn't happen as often, but it happens. Resurrection. This is when God doesn't come and changes our, change our circumstance. He doesn't come and change our relationships. Doesn't even come and change our attitude. This is when God lets them all die. I mean dead, dead, stinky dead. So that he can raise us up to a whole new life. Because resurrection can't happen without death. Now, read with me through this 11th chapter. I won't read every verse. Sometimes I'll tell you the verses. But we'll get through most of the 11th chapter. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her, and her sister Martha. And it was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wrapped 
uh, and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. And the sisters therefore sent to him and said, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness is not unto death. Or another way of saying this is, his, this sickness is not for death. It's not for the purpose of death. But for the glory of God, that the Son of Man may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha, and her sister, and Lazarus. When therefore he heard that he was sick, he stayed then two days longer in the place where he was. Notice how those two sentences are juxtaposed. He loved them, therefore he stayed longer so that Lazarus would die. What sense does that make? What's up with that? It says this. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. There are times when love doesn't look like love. There are times when love doesn't seem like love because it's so very different from any love we've ever experienced before. The love we experience usually comes by, by comfort, by help, by rescue, by resuscitation, by extension. That's how we know love. That's how we've experienced love. It usually comes on a parity and on a timing with our needs. But here, Jesus does not respond to the cues of people or the cues of circumstances or the cues of timing. He's responding to a different set of cues that only come from God. There will come a time in your life when you are ready to help someone and God says, uh-uh, no, that's not my answer for them. And you will be taken back. I just told you a couple of weeks ago, you know, if, if you, we work well today. If you got an opportunity, you help right then. And I stand by that. But there will be times when you go to help and there's another cue that comes from God and says, mm -mm, no, that's not my ultimate help for them. There are times when love doesn't seem like love and love doesn't look like love, but love is greater because there is a greater purpose. And the greater purpose comes from something so radically different than you would expect that that itself is its greatness. The Bible says this, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts higher than our thoughts. You know, those of you who have been to Niagara Falls, and you've seen the power of those great waters falling 169 feet from Lake Erie to Lake Ontario, know that the power and the beauty of those falls come not from parity, from, but from disparity. Not from how they are even, but how they are uneven. And so there will come times in your life when God says, I'm not going to respond like you thought I would. I'm not going to make it like what is just a normal extension of what you believe would make things all right because I have a greater plan for you. The scripture goes on then to say this. 
His disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Going there again, Judea. And Jesus said, are there not 12 hours in a day? You walk while it's light. Now there's 24 hours a day. Everybody knows, right? But he's talking about the, the, the working hours, the hours where it's light. And he's saying, we got, in essence, he's saying, we got work to, go, to do. Let's go. And he said, your brother, our, Lazarus has fallen asleep. And they said, they don't want to go because they know they're going to be in danger. And so they said, well, if he's fallen asleep, then he'll wake up. He'll recover. And now this is kind of comedic because in the Bible, sleep, of course, is used as a metaphor for death. It's used that way over and over again. And he slept with his fathers. It's used that way all in 15 out of 17 times in the New Testament. The word we have for cemetery, um, um, we get from the Greek word um, koimeterion. And it, and it means a place of sleep. And so they're looking for any excuse. And they're saying, well, you, I mean, you're more than an alarm clock, Jesus. You know, he'll wake up. And so Jesus has to speak very plainly to him. And he leans over and says, Lazarus is dead. All right? Okay. Got that solved. And then he says this. I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Now, I want, you to, I want you to hear this. There are times when belief is more important than relief. There are times, some of you right now are saying, God, where are you? And I want you to be assured of this, that if God is not intervening right now, it's because he's going to take you to a whole nother level of belief, and that will be more important for you than the relief you think you need right now. Now, it says that Thomas, therefore, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. <laughs> you got to know this, Thomas. Thomas is kind of like the Eeyore of the disciples. <laughs> you know, this is the hearty, hard, hard. Nothing's ever going to go right. It's not that he didn't believe in Jesus. He believed in Jesus. It's not that, it's not that he, would, he was going to go die with him. You know, it's not that he didn't have faith in Jesus. It's that, it's that, he just didn't, he couldn't picture, he was so pessimistic. He couldn't picture anything coming out right. And so he goes, okay, well, we'll go die, okay. <laughs> well, scripture goes on to say, so when Jesus came, he found out that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now, this is a very significant figure in Judaism because there was a tradition that the soul would hover around the body for three days looking to see if there would be time to kind of re-enter and, and make a go of it again. Or, or it kind of lingered because that was its familiar uh, um, um, house, its familiar place. And so, and so, but after three days, see, they didn't have embalming fluid back then like we have. After three days, the body would begin to decay. And so when the soul came back the fourth day and it was starting to stink, you know, so the soul would go, hmm. That's not a go. Okay. <laughs> and it, it would go off to Hades, the place of the rest, you know, the place of the dead. And so, and so um, that's, 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 the, that's the, um, um, the point here, that this is dead, dead. He's not, he's not he doesn't mean, he de, he's not just, as I used to say in Princess, Princess Bride, mostly dead. Uh, he, he's not just a, a little bit dead that needs a little, you know, some of you have eaten steaks that with a little massage could come back to life. He's not... <laughs> It's, he's, he's not that kind. I mean, he's he, he stinky dead. Stinky dead. Okay. 
Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And, and this is basically said uh, to, to help us understand, Jesus could have, could have gone there and saved him. Wasn't that big a journey. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went out to meet him. But Mary sat still in the house, or still sat in the house. I love this. I love, you know the girls. You know, you've, you, you know Luke 10, how Martha was just all over the place. I, I picture Martha as kind of ADD, you know? I mean, she's, <laughs> you know, this was before Ritalin. She's just, she's so attentive, and she's so there, and she's so, and she's so cool. I love Martha. I just think this woman, is, she would just be the most fun to have around. You know, so anyhow, she comes out, and she, Jesus steps foot in the territory. <laughs> There's Martha. And it says, Martha said, therefore, to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Now, that's not a guilt trip. Everybody takes that as a guilt trip. I don't believe that about Martha. I believe she, she loved Jesus so much that this was just her lament, her way of saying, if only. I've got such confidence in you, if only. Let me ask you just to, to answer this in your head. How much of your life do you spend in if onlys? If, if only God had done this, I wouldn't be here. If, if, only, if only I had done this, they wouldn't be there. If only I could have seen, that wouldn't have happened. Now let me ask you this question. Do you really believe in a sovereign God? Do you really believe in a sovereign God? Or do you believe in kind of a sovereign God? In a, in a God who, who's, who's kind of limited and can't, can't really take care of everything. And let me tell you the reason I ask you that. I told this to the graduate at RTS. And I gave the commencement address at, at the seminary the other night. And I said, everybody who bemoans the state of the world today doesn't believe in the sovereignty of God. You know why? Because they don't think God can work outside the church or outside the Christian community. Let me challenge you to something. Let me challenge you to believe that God is, is in every developmental detail in this world to the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And let me challenge you to do away with if-only thoughts. That's old religion. That's saying, you know, God, in order to make this thing work, you would have had to intervene when I told you to intervene instead of when you thought it was good to intervene. Do away with the guilt. Do what, don't live in that. God is sovereign. And things happen for a greater purpose than you understand right now, but God is sovereign. So she goes into this ophony, and then she says, but I, you know, I know even now, Whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Now, it looks like she's asking, hinting for him to resurrect Jesus. But if you read down a little bit further, that's the furthest thing from her mind. As a matter of fact, when Jesus starts to resurrect, she goes, whoa, wait, let's not go that direction. And so this is what she's saying. But I believe, Jesus, that you are the ultimate middleman. I believe in you so much that I know whatever you ask of God, he's going to do for you. That's how much I believe in you. Now, Jesus is just about to bump her faith to a place it has never been. Because he says to her, your brother will rise again. She says, oh, I know he will. You know, at resurrection day, I know he will. 
And Jesus looks at her and says, I am the resurrection and the life. You know what he was saying? He was saying, Mary, I'm not the middleman. I'm God. God. You don't have to go anywhere else. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Well, that was news to her. Is it news to you? You see, there is a kind of life that doesn't wait until it's on the other side. There is an eternity to be lived right here, right now. There is a resurrection today that doesn't stop with any bump of death. It doesn't deny death. It doesn't have to run from death. It doesn't have to avoid death. It doesn't have to avoid pain or struggle. It doesn't have to do any of that. It's just life anyhow. That's what he was saying that day. I've known Christians that, that are so afraid of death, they, they use this scripture. You'll run into them every once in a while. That says, you know, it says in the Bible, if you just believe enough, you'll never die. It says right there, he whoever believes in me shall never die. I had, I had somebody in my last church in Indianapolis, neat, neat old guy, sweet old guy, loved the Lord, a little mixed up, came to me one day, said, Pastor, I'm never going to die. I said, Bob, what do you mean? He says, it says in the Bible, if I believe in us, I got, he says, I got some friends. They're not going to die either. We've all decided. We just believe we're never going to die. I said, Bob, it says also in there, terror man comes, wants to die, and then to judgment. No, no. says, Jesus said, written in red here, never going to die. Not going to die. I said, Bob, you're going to die. No, I'm not going to die. You don't have to die either, preacher. Just one one. Well, two years later, I did his funeral. He died. <laughs> Now, I believe he's with Jesus, you know, but just there are just some set things in life. The thing is that the resurrection life is so strong, you don't have to be afraid of that. It takes it into consideration. As a matter of fact, in order to have it, you have to die. That is a prerequisite. <laughs> yeah, it is. Bible says unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it won't be resurrected. Now, here's where we go into our life. And not just our physical life. Well, let's go on. Let's read some more. It says, Mary, Mary came out finally. He said basically the same thing Martha did. And, and, and then the Jews came out. And, and, it says, and, and it says that Jesus saw her weeping and saw the Jews. And they were also weeping. And he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. You know, this, the Greek word here means he, he snorted. Kind of like a horse snorts. <sighs> He did. He just made that sound. And, and because he was at once angry and another deeply moved with them. The Bible says we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. And so therefore, the reason that Jesus wept is not because he didn't know the outcome. He knew what he was going to do. He wept for them. God still, his heart goes out to us. Because we can't see how great he is. We can't see how wonderfully extensive, how he's going to make everything come out for good. His heart goes out to us. He cries for us. But then he proceeds. After the Jews said, if only you'd been here. He loved him. Couldn't he keep him from dying if he was here? If only. 
They go into that old religion stuff. It says 38, Jesus, therefore, again being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave, and the stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time, there's going to be a stench. He's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Now, let me, I'm missing my stool. Let me, let me tell you what's happening here. Jesus is about to do something that's so radical that it not only overcomes death, watch this, it reverses decay. There are some of you in your life right now say, boy, that's gone. Not only is that gone, it is so, it is so rotten I could never even dig it up again. God's power is so great. And some of you, some of you worry about bodies that lie in the grave or, gonna be able, or, or cremated ashes or whatever. And you think, oh, God will never be able to do anything with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like you go, hmm, what are the pieces here? You know, God reverses decay. God can bring life out of that which is decayed. And the fact is that sometimes that is the very thing he intends. That is the very, there are times in life where there's no way to get from good to great. Now, if you think I'm wrong about that, read some of the literature on management these days. The guy who wrote uh, Built to Last, Jim Collins, did a study of the Fortune 500 companies of this country and over, over a period of time, studied 1,400 of them as they came and went, and with a set criterion determined that only 11 of those 1,400 companies ever went from good to great. And th those 11 had what he called level five leaders. But what his point was this. Sometimes you can't get from where you are to where God has for you to be unless you die. Unless that old life just goes. That's what happened when you were born again. And that's what happens sometimes after you're born again. Let me tell you about these drums. These are oil cans. That's what they are. After the war in Trinidad, they wanted a way to celebrate. They didn't have musical instruments. And so they made, this is their native musical instruments. It was invented in Trinidad. They were a British colony. They went to the queen, said, will you pronounce this a musical instrument? And after some prevarication, she finally did. But this is an oil can. That's all it is. It has been cut off. Its top has been stretched in such a way so that when you hit different spots, you get a different sound. Now, if you had the voice of an oil can that they were cutting in half, that they were stretching the top, if that oil can had a voice that said, Oh, God, rescue me! I'll never be able to be an oil can again! <laughs> and there's some people who would say, You're ruining that oil can. It's a perfectly good oil can. We could put oil in that thing. Good heavens, we'll never be able to use that as an oil drum again. It's ruined. Yeah. And it's made 
into a wonderful musical instrument. God does that with your life. He's going to stretch it. He's going to cut it. You'll never be able to be that person again. But he's going to resurrect you into an instrument for his glory. Now watch this. You don't change circumstances. You don't change relationships. You don't even change attitude very much about the circumstances and relationships. Lazarus didn't come out of that tomb and say, hmm, think I'll move. Think I'll have a whole new group of friends. He came back right and lived right where he was. But I guarantee you, he never lived life the same again. He had a whole new life. That's what God has for some of you. That's what God has for this church. It's not, it's not changing circumstances. It's not changing primary relationships. Same people. It'll be driven into closer friendship. But we're making a transition to a whole new life and a whole new era. God, if he's not rescuing you, if he's not stretching you, if he's not just trying to make you a little bit better, he's going to kill you. So he can make you great. And for some of you, that's going to come on this side. And I can't wait to see it. Our job is to allow each other to go through that. Look at what it says. It says, he remo- they removed the stone, he prayed, and then he said, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings. What are those wrappings? Those are the best the past could do for him. And then he said this, unbind him and let him go. Our job when somebody is living a whole new life is to help them to put the past in the past so that they can walk in that newness. Some will believe even more. Some will be made angry. But our job is to free people to live the life God's given them. The new life. Pray with me. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for your great victory over death on this side of the final resurrection as well as on the other side. And thank you for the ways that you are working in the lives of the people who have assembled here. Some of them are watching life as they have known it end. Let them let it go because you have something so much higher and so much deeper and so much more wonderful that it is going to be a gift that they are so glad they've received. Lord, thank you again that we can trust in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we got one more song. How many of you have ever heard the Hallelujah Chorus played on Steel Band? Stand up. Here it is.